Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, what's up, friends? My name is Andre, and this is the Tennis and Bagels podcast, a podcast about essentially any tennis talk from recreational to professional tour, just any topic that relates to tennis. I am thinking about it to try and talk to this podcast, so just because I just love tennis in general. So, um, and this week, uh, well, today, as I'm recording it, is it's Thursday. You're supposed to have a that was supposed to be a podcast uh, out today, but I wasn't really able to because of, uh, well, life got in the way, as I like to say sometimes when, no, just, I don't feel like explaining much. But anyway, the thing is, um, this week and next week, we were supposed to be having the Olympics right now. And uh, I don't exactly remember when is tennis uh, in the schedule of the Olympics, but I think it should be about in the first week because the last week of the Olympics is dedicated to all of the athletics, um, to track and field and the marathon, obviously. So that's that's it for it. And um, but we're not having Olympics. That's that's really lame. It's one of my favorite events of uh, every four years. Like one of my favorite sporting events, actually. So um, I really enjoy watching essentially any sports that are in the in the Olympics. I think it's really interesting to, you know, um, get exposure to those uh, different um, modalities of uh, sports, different things that are happening, and even sports that I basically just don't understand at all and never really follow in the Olympics is the time that I actually get really excited about seeing things. And one of the sports that I really love in the Olympics is actually the gymnastics, which has nothing to do with tennis, really, but um, it's, it's just that one thing that I really love. I love sports in general. Tennis just happens to be the one that I love the most and I like to follow, like, at any occasion. Um, except maybe for exhibitions. I'm not really a big exhibition guy. I, I like big tournaments and regular tournaments, rather. Um, but um, in the Olympics, in tennis, there's there's a lot of uh, story in that. a lot of history, let's say. Um, and the Olympics is not held and I don't think anybody holds the Olympics as a, um, a minor thing. Everybody loves the Olympics. Everybody wants to become a, a gold medalist. Everybody wants to win a medal in the Olympics. A gold medal is kind of like the the dream. But um, receiving any medal in the Olympics must be must be a great thing. Must be an amazing feeling. And um, in tennis. Uh, the Olympics actually add on to, you know, one of the biggest achievements in uh, 
in in tennis really that you can actually get uh, the ones that few players have done which is the the career career golden slam which is that's what they call them when when you win all of the grand slams and then you win a gold medal currently only rafael nadal has that uh, achievement and andre agassi has accomplished this uh i don't remember exactly when but he did it uh probably in maybe 2000 um and Steffi Graf was the one that managed to get it all in the same year, in 1988, if I'm not mistaken, which is just an immense feat. It's it's kind of... It's almost impossible, let's put it this way. Obviously, the Olympics happen every four years, so it's a, it's a really big deal to uh, win all of them, all of those big tournaments in the same year. It's, it's just... A, gigantic feat and um, maybe at some point I will talk about that one achievement uh, especially speaking again, uh, speak, uh, speaking about Steffi Graf um, but today I want to speak about a player um, and as you know for the title, title of this podcast this player Andy Murray is a player that throughout the years um, I've grown to really like him uh, I've grown to really enjoy his game and his, you know, personality as well and the things that he stands up for and uh, the fact that he's just not necessarily a person that um, tries to be anything that he um, he is not. And uh, he seems to be really um, accepting of his own personality that he's, he's more like a shy person, just kind of gives his interviews, um, just kind of like being really honest. Uh, and... I was really, really happy for him when he won the Olympics in 2012. And that's the match that... Uh, not the match, but really the... Um, well, the the event that I'll be talking today is the, the Olympics uh, and what it actually meant for Andy Murray. And I think that lots of people, if not all of the, the bigger tennis fans, the big tennis fans, really, the ones that actually follow and know about the accomplishments of the, the players... Um, that winning the Olympics was probably uh, like a pivotal point in his career. The moment where he stopped being just um, a threat to the big three, let's say. Like, and at that time, um, when he won the Olympics, Djokovic was in, Djokovic was in the beginning of his, 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 his peak, let's say. So he had just had an, an amazing 2011 and 2012 he won the one of the greatest uh matches of all time one of the greatest finals that at least the longest final of all time i think in the australian open um against nadal and uh yeah he was running running high i believe he was number one at the time or maybe not maybe that was better at that time when he won the olympics but Djokovic Djokovic started the year as number one and federer is coming back from um a year of not winning Islam and uh he won the he won a Wimbledon over Andy Murray and so Andy Murray was kind of like the only one of the big four that hadn't really had that the moment the breakthrough part of his career and 2012 was arguably the moment well the year in, in his career that allowed Andy Murray to achieve all that he has achieved so far and the Olympics is is regarded as most likely the pivotal moment in his career, the moment in which he was able to 
um, finished 2012 with another with a Grand Slam, his first Grand Slam, and to um, lead the way towards his first Wimbledon victory in the, the next year, essentially in 2013, when he beat Novak Djokovic as well in the final um, in straight sets. Uh, and the Olympics were a very interesting interesting match, really, because. It, the score was was lame. Um, if you watch the match, it wasn't necessarily like a lot going on. It's probably very emotional for lots of people, um, for for British people, British um, to to watch it, British fans. And Andy Murray is probably never going to forget the match. Um, and at the time, he was even saying how that was obviously the biggest title of his career, the biggest win of his career. It was the first time he's beaten Roger Federer in a best of five match. Um, hadn't yet beaten Federer in the Grand Slam. That would happen in the next year, in 2013. But it was his first victory over Federer in the best of five. And the first victory, his first victory over Federer in, in the big final. So, and it, regardless, regardless of how Federer was playing, regardless of Murray, how Murray was playing, it was a big win and he was very meaningful for him. Murray had beaten Djokovic in the semifinal um, just before, well, that match, I think the day before, and or two days before, and Federer had defeated Juan Martín del Potro with a score of 19-17 in the third set, which, by the way, um, kind of can be used as some sort of a example to defend the argument that Grand Slams don't actually need to have a best of five, you can just kind of like not ha- not have the the tiebreaker in the last set, or maybe you can do it like Wimbledon and you just have a tiebreaker like twelve all, and you can still get a very very long match, um, and kind of reserve the best of five to the final. But that's not the topic of today. The topic is Andy Murray in the Olympics and how he beat it. He beat Federer. And he beat it. Oh my gosh! Um, but. Starting before that, like, I think it's important to mention a little bit um, Wimbledon 2012. Um, that final, um, Andy Murray was up a set and then he lost um, the, 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 the final three sets, the next three sets to Federer um, and he didn't take the trophy home. He was the first uh, British player, male player, to reach the final in Wimbledon in, at that point, was 76 years. Or 75, 76, or 75, either or. Um, and it was a lot of pressure for him. It, it, it was the first, it, it wasn't already a big thing that he was the only, um, that there wasn't a British champion in Wimbledon since 1938. It was an incredibly long time as well that there wasn't even a finalist at Wimbledon. The, Tim Hammond got really close. Um, in his career, he got to the semifinals, but he hasn't hadn't reached a final in the Grand Slam. There wasn't even a finalist in a Grand Slam at all. So there wasn't. Fred Perry was the last British champion uh, in the male tour, um, years years before uh, the um, the Open era even started. And Britain was just really looking to see a champion at home, and that was a lot of pressure for him. Not only had any Marine not. Um, been in uh, been a, a Grand Slam champion yet for him to reach the Wimbledon final he wasn't a Grand Slam champion and uh, 
if he were to win that first title like at Wimbledon, that was as his first Grand Slam and the first one, uh, uh, the first British champion in in Wimbledon since 1938. Is uh. That was probably way too much for him to take, and and playing against Federer was definitely the the worst person that he could ever possibly play. Federer at that moment was a six time champion at Wimbledon. He is now a an eight time champion. He won. Wait, what? Hold on a second. He won two thousand nine. Yeah, that was his, that was his seventh title. Yeah. Um, I was watching the highlights earlier and they say that he was a six-time champion, but that was as the match went on, they kind of made that comment, but that got me confused for a bit. But anyway, that he became this seven-time, uh, he tied Sampras' record in the men's tour of uh, seven Wimbledon titles. He hasn't yet tied Martina Navratilova's record of nine titles at Wimbledon, but now he's he has he's at eight titles. Um, and Federer is just regarded as probably the greatest um, male player on grass ever and he is just he, he just loves playing on grass and he just plays well there like um if there is a grand slam that people think the federer still has a chance of winning is wimbledon people don't even consider uh, the hard courts either uh, anymore a little bit partially because of how Djokovic has become so good at, at, on them um he just dominates the australian open um surprisingly enough doesn't dominate at all the US Open but still um but Andy Murray wasn't playing badly in the first set he actually won the first set and he had a clear strategy his strategy was essentially try to play to ba- uh, Federer's backhand and uh open up the forehand side and attack it and he would not likely but he would uh, he, he was looking to get either Federer on a running forehand to um, either just be completely out of position so that side was completely open and uh, Federer wouldn't be able to get there, so he went for a winner. Or on the running forehand, uh, Federer would make an enforced error. That was essentially what he was doing. And if Federer was getting the back, the forehand to work, he would um, reset the point by playing back on the backhand. And on break points, Andy Murray was ser- serving to the backhand as well. And probably for most of the match, he was serving for to the backhand, which is basically um, a regular strategy against Federer, no matter who you are. Um, and he did it pretty well in the first set. But after that, like Federer was playing well. He wasn't playing badly either. He was serving lots of aces and serving well and his forehand was clicking he was moving fantastically uh if you watch the, the highlights some of some of the movements that Federer makes on, off, off of his forehand just like running around it and going to the net everything was working fine and even his background was doing the job really well so Federer was just um inspired that day and Andy Murray was doing well but just couldn't handle it and you can kind of see, especially after he lost the, the second set, they kind of got a little bit lost in his ways. He just kind of like reverted back to his basic Andy Murray ways of defending and just kind of like going cross court no matter what. And he just didn't seem to follow the strategy very well. And that ended up being one of the biggest biggest losses in his career. It's It was a very sad moment for him. And then after that, he went to the Olympics. And the Olympics... I don't think he could have been in a better spot in in Andy Murray's career. If he had reached the final of Wimbledon the, a year before, 
maybe he wouldn't have been able to accomplish what he did. Uh, maybe he wouldn't have been able to either win Wimbledon or a Grand Slam um, or the Olympic gold medal. And he did it twice. So in 2012, it wasn't in Great Britain. It was just the stage was there. It was set up. It was a, a rematch against Federer. And the pressure was there. But he was maybe ex- he was explaining a little bit as well, like in his interviews, how it made things easier that he already reached the Wimbledon final because he knew a little bit of how the crowd was in that position. He knew to be in that position already. Um, and on the, the the courts of Wimbledon, even though he wasn't in Wimbledon, and with the home crowd. So that helped him like keep his head um, straight, to keep his strategy working and flowing, and to not really get lost in uh, trying to do different things or just kind of go back to uh, some sort of plan B, like a, like a comfort zone where nothing really happens. Um, he just kept attacking. He just kept doing it really well. He kept... Um, not necessarily going for too much, but attacking um, with attacking with intent and keeping his margins um, high enough uh, that uh, large enough that he wouldn't make too many errors, and that was very good good for him. That fact that it was a, a bit of a windy day, um, and Federer was just not finding himself in the match. He just couldn't land. Um, serves he his backhand was just all right, um, and um, his volley approaches were just weird at times. Like you would see him coming to the net on nothing shots and just just made terrible decisions uh, throughout the match. And when but all credit to Murray because um, and that's kind of like when when you see um, clutchness when you see Murray. Um, really growing and rising to the occasion is that he faced a lot of breakpoints. He faced nine breakpoints throughout that match, and he, but he wasn't a, uh, but he was able to save all of them, and he was able to follow the strategy and keep his head straight and keep um, his mind on the, on the on the strategy and what he should do. And when he he did a lot on the breakpoints, you can see if you watch the match that he served a lot to obviously Federer's backhand. But he served a lot into Federer's body. And uh, Federer's always just not moving incredibly well during that match. So the, the body serve was, was destroying him. Like he was getting to just block the ball back on court. It's kind of like a an awkward balloon ball. Just like landing around in the middle of the court and no pace. And just high enough for Murray to just finish it off. And he couldn't he couldn't manage it. So all credit goes to, to Murray in that sense that he was able to not allow Federer into that match because he did that a little bit. Of course, it was a little bit harder in the, in the final of Wimbledon that he just played, but um, allowing Federer back and, on, into the match and trying to and dictating momentum and just stealing that momentum maybe it would have been it would have cost Murray's. Uh, Murray's title in the Olympics. And even though it doesn't look like it, it, does, it looks like Murray just completely destroyed Federer. Federer had his chances in the match, and if he had taken a few of them, uh, maybe the score would have been different. Maybe the entire uh, match, the story of the match would have been totally different. So that's that's the story of how essentially Murray won the Olympics. And for him, it probably meant. I think. I just. I just think. Because um, you cannot. You cannot actually figure out like how does that feel for 
for him. For me, I'm not British. I'm not a tennis player. I haven't won the gold medal or something. So I can't really relate to that. But I can only imagine essentially how much does that mean to him that he was able to win a best of five set matches against Roger Federer on the courts of Wimbledon on his home crowd after a very, very tough loss. He got a rematch. He got essentially all of the the belief that he needed, all of the the self um, self-confidence that he needed, that he can do this, that he can win. And he was doing the a, f- a few interviews afterwards and he was mentioning how uh, the US Open was coming up and he was, I would really like and he was saying something along the lines of I would I would really like to win to win it. So I would try to do my best there. And little did he know that he would actually go on to win that match, the the final match against Djokovic in five sets. And he took his first Grand Slam title, his first Grand Slam champion from Britain in mega champion in 70, 77 years, I think. And that's just incredible for him. And the, the Wimbledon title, I think, not the Wimbledon title, but the, the, the Olympics title, I think completely um, changed the, the, the look that he had on his career. Changed the the way that he felt as just an underdog, as just the, the guy that's trailing behind Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, to being a person that thinks, no, I... I am able to do this. I am able to win those titles. And he did it. He he won the US Open. And without the Olympics, I don't think he would have been able to win the US Open. Without the Olympics, I don't think he would have been able to... Um, even if he had won those uh, first two sets against Djokovic, I don't, I don't think he would have been able to win the final set once Djokovic came back from two sets to love down. And... He he was able to 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 bring it home. He was able to uh, keep his head um, straight, keep his mind in the strategy in the game, and keep his uh, his focus. And manage to like cross the line at the end. And uh, even if uh, winning Grand Slam was an, was still a novel experience for him, was something that he hadn't done yet. Having beaten Federer in uh, in the Olympics. In a best of five sets and his home crowd. And I think it's incredibly important that he played in the grounds of Wimbledon because it felt real. It's, it's like you can you feel like it doesn't, it's not really the, the, the tournament or um, the, the, the court is not necessarily what makes the, the match difficult in a sense. He could actually feel like I am on this court, I can win it. And um, he had been in the final of the US Open before in 2008, um, and he's managed to make it back, make, make it back in the final in 2012, and win that match. And I can only imagine like the preparations that he was going through in his in his mind, and remembering that gold medal that he had. There's a possibility even that he had a gold, his gold medal on him uh, during the US Open. I don't think he would have, but if I were him, maybe I would because I would remember it. Um, or maybe he just kind of like reverse psychology in a sense, like I can, um, leave my, I'll leave my, my gold medal in my house because I don't need it. I know I am enough, you know, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't need a token to, uh, win this match. He doesn't need a, he doesn't need a, a lucky charm to win, um, big titles. He is, he's enough on his own. His game is enough. And, um, there was a discussion on Twitter. There was a, a pool of, uh, what was more important for for Murray to have won um, Wimbledon in 2013, uh, his first one. 
And I voted for for the U.S. Open because because in my mind when I was voting and I was thinking about this, I would, I could only think of Murray um, Murray's uh, win in the U.S. Open as his his maiden Grand Slam. So he doesn't he has kind of like half the the weight of uh, Britain on his shoulders at this point because it's not a Grand Slam winner that they want anymore. It's a Wimbledon champion, and as a Wimbledon champion. Um, it was probably made easier for him to have won the U.S. Open. But on a second look, after thinking a little bit about it and after reading some of the comments in the thread, like for me, I when I vote in the poll on Twitter, or I, well, on Twitter, really, I um, I don't, I try not to read the, the thread before because I, I'm, I just want to like have my own opinion and my own mind on what it is. And then as I look into the other comments, I see the people's, um, opinions and uh, arguments about the other so thinking back uh, i probably would have voted the olympics as well but thinking a, even a little further than that winning wimbledon for for murray um it was the third step for him it was the the final hurdle and that he had to cross and i don't think he, he would have been able to win the u.s open without the olympics and I don't think he would have been able to win Wimbledon without the U.S. Open. Even he had won the Olympics. Maybe he would have had a chance, but I don't think he would have. Because um, suppose that he goes to the uh, U.S. Open final and he plays against Djokovic and he loses that final. Um, he faced Djokovic again in the Wimbledon final. How much more of confidence, how much more confidence would Murray had um, by winning that final? Um, whereas if he hadn't won it, maybe he would not really believe in himself, even though he had won the Olympics, because the Olympics were already a year later. Um, and he would probably have thought to himself if he had lost the, the US Open final, something along those lines of, oh, I just, I won the Olympics, but the Olympics are not the, a grand, they're not a Grand Slam. It's just the Olympics. It's not the biggest tournaments of our sports not really what represents what represents our sport really and the, what really stays in history although the olympics does stay in history um is really the grand slams the, the grand slams are the prestige of a tennis player the olympics olympics are the prestige of an athlete but as a tennis player it probably feels better to win a grand slam um but that's kind of like along those lines of just kind of like if you just sit down on your couch and you think about it but to win the olympics probably still um, an incredible thrill and I don't know I feel like Federer probably thinks for himself man I really wish I had won at least one gold medal and maybe he will have probably a chance next year if he stays healthy but that will be definitely his last chance I don't think there's any way that he can come back um, at age 44 and win a gold medal if he does that honestly it will be probably the feat of his career um, and one of the biggest feats in tennis, I, I would say. Um, but yeah, Murray won the Olympics and he followed that up nicely, very nicely with the US Open. And those two steps, I think, were the major reason why he won Wimbledon. Because with the US Open, um, well, with the, with the Olympics win, he thought to himself, I can win the big titles. And he was able to keep his focus in the U.S. Open final. And then he won that final. And then the, when he won that final, he probably realized I crossed a major hurdle in my life right now. And he 
went with that baggage to Wimbledon 2013. And as a Grand Slam champion, as a reigning Grand Slam champion, he just made sure that he channeled all of his energy from the Olympics, all of the energy from uh, uh, the crowd that he was here, hearing cheering for him, and then remembering how he became a hero at the US Open. He, he was both of those um, very tied together, the Olympics and the US Open, um, to win at Wimbledon uh, once he got there uh, in 2013 against Novak Djokovic. And, but yeah, the Olympics it are definitely probably the biggest turning point in Murray's career. You can likely trace the timeline and say this is Murray pre-Olympic Games and this is Murray post-Olympic Games. Um, and Murray starts being a really, really good player, if I'm not, not mistaken, in either 2006 or seven when he beat Gasquet, or is it 2005? Around those years, like maybe in 2005 to 2007, when he beat Gasquet in... Uh, I want to say the quarterfinals or fourth round um, in in Wimbledon. And that's one of the moments in which Murray becomes a player who's confident in in himself, that he can get deep in the tournaments. But from that, getting deep in tournaments um, to actually winning them, that's when uh, Murray had to cross this hurdle in the Olympics. And when he won it in 2012, that's when things changed. That's when... Number one, Murray was born, even though he only went on to to become number one in 2016. Um, He probably uh, was thinking back a lot into this Olympics match and how he and how much focus, focus and and strategy actually were so important for him to 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 take that that win. And yeah, I, I don't I don't think. Um, I think this is probably one of the biggest uh, Olympic story that I that I know of, and not to take anything away from Rick, for example, from Nadal when he won in 2008, or um, when Murray won again in 2016. But if if any if an Olympic title, an Olympic medal, meant so much for someone, I don't think anything really compares to Andy Murray winning the Olympics. I think it's probably the Olympic uh, tennis story that will stand for the ages and will be probably the most pivotal pivotal win in the Olympics that ever was, at least in tennis history. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, if, you, if you think I'm wrong, you feel free to reach, me, reach out to me on Twitter and, and just say that I am totally wrong, that there was a, this and that match. But honestly, for Andy Murray... Um, to finish a 77-year drought of a British male play, uh, male player champion and uh, and the grounds of Wimbledon, um, the Olympics were definitely a huge um, relief for him and a huge help in him carrying the burden and finally lifting that burden when he won in 2013. And yeah, that's uh, that's Andy Murray's story in the Olympics and. Please let me know um, if I missed something. Let me know if uh, something uh, uh, there there was something that I missed that that I should have discussed in this episode. And um, yeah, if you're free to reach out to me again, as I said, and on Twitter, my handle is at and Rollenberg. Like um, 
and as antennas and bagels and bagels, right? And Rollenberg, R-O-L-E-M-B-E-R-G. Uh, hope I spelled that correctly. I'm tired right now. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, follow me on Instagram at Tennis and Bagels and on Facebook as well, Facebook slash Tennis and Bagels. Make sure you, um, I don't know, give me a review if you're on Apple Podcast. That would actually mean a lot to me because reviews um, really, really, really help a podcast to grow and to get to m- uh, more people and more listeners. So if you if you do enjoy um, my episodes, my the, the work that I do here, um, and if you enjoy, I don't know, talking to me on Twitter, um, give me that um, little boost. I will, it will be really, really appreciated. So thanks for listening and putting out and um, I'll see you guys next week, hopefully on Thursday at 9 a.m. And maybe there'll be some really great, um, great things happening for this podcast in the near future. Uh, So stay tuned. Um, And thanks so much for listening. This is Andre and the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 